Welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Well, hey, good morning uh, again. Uh, today, I want to talk with you about what is probably the most important moment in Christian history that you've never heard of. <laughs> Namely, the ascension of Christ to the right hand of the Father. Now, of course, I'm exaggerating a bit. You've probably heard of the ascension, but maybe you haven't heard much about it. Uh, this is something that is, in my experience, widely overlooked. So, for example, I grew up in the church, and I even went to seminary, but I don't recall hearing a single sermon on the ascension until I was in my 30s. Uh, and, and by the way, I'm still in my 30s. Uh, just barely, just barely, kind of hanging on for dear life. Um, yeah, so <laughs> anyways, uh, today with many churches around the world, we celebrate a- Ascension Sunday. And, and today we remember that after being raised from the dead, that Jesus spent 40 days, the scriptures tell us, instructing his disciples about the kingdom of God and, and giving them convincing proofs, we are told, about his resurrection. And then uh, he, we are told that he ascended uh, to the right hand of the Father. And here's what I want to suggest to you this morning, though. And it's that the ascension is simultaneously one of the most important moments in, in all of Christian history, and at the same time, one of the most overlooked. And as a result of that, I believe that many of us, many, many followers of Jesus are walking around with sort of this gap in our understanding of the story of Scripture. So, for example, we know that Jesus came at Christmas, what theologians call the incarnation. We know that he went to the cross, accomplishing what theologians call the atonement. We know that, uh, that, that, that Jesus was raised from the dead on Easter, the resurrection, uh, but I fear that many followers of Jesus are walking around with sort of this assumption that Jesus just sort of, I don't know, after that just kind of disappeared and kind of like, I don't know, left us in the lurch, you know? And, and, and so in light of that, if that's how you think of the ascension, then of course, this is going to sound to you like bad news, right? And you're going to think like, well, why would we celebrate this? And, and for example, normally if someone you love leaves, you wouldn't celebrate, right? Now you might throw a going away party, but that's different. Because in a going away party, you're not saying like, woohoo, you're leaving. <laughs> We're not like, I am, I'm going to celebrate this. You know, think about this. Like, you know, like I'm going to celebrate this day every day that you left us. I'm going to celebrate this day. Every, every year, rather, you know, for, forever. So, so no, that wouldn't make any sense, right? So what's interesting is that the scriptures make very clear that Jesus' ascension is actually good news. That it is amazing news, not bad news. So let, let me just kind of uh, unpack this. So, we read a moment ago from Luke chapter 24, and in verses 50 through 51, it says that when Jesus had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, so he, he's gathered his followers, and he's sort of giving them some parting words, and then it says he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Now, initially, that sounds like bad news, right? Um, yet in the next verse, and this is so fascinating, verses 52 through 53, it says, and here's their response. It says, then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with what? Great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Now, again, initially that seems surprising, right? 
but we are told that Jesus' ascension actually brought them great joy. In other words, this is good news. And and I want to suggest to you that the ascension of Jesus Christ is actually good news for you and for me today, and good news for this world. And, And so here's what I want to explore today. It's why were the disciples filled with joy? And why should you and I be filled with joy in light of Christ's ascension? Well, to answer that, I want to talk about two two main things today. And the first is the meaning of the ascension. In other words, what does it mean? And then secondly, the promise of the ascension. In other words, what impact does it have on our lives? Okay, so let's just kind of jump in. So what does it mean to say that Christ ascended? So if you were to pull out a dictionary, if you were to kind of look up the word ascend, it would mean what? It would mean to go up, right? So if you were to uh, ascend a flight of stairs, that would mean to go up a, a flight of stairs, right? Uh, and, and so uh, when we are told uh, that Jesus ascended, we're, we're talking about this moment when he went up into heaven. So again, in Luke 24, verse 51, it says Jesus was taken up in to heaven. So in other words, like spatially, his body went up, okay? So if you're holding a balloon and, and, and you let go, it's going to ascend, right? It's going to go up, right? So now in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, which is also written by Luke, he gives us a, a few more details. And there it says that Jesus was, quote, taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. So, so this event is referred to as Christ's ascension in part because Jesus' bodily body literally went up, okay? And so that's the kind of the first layer of meaning. But at this point, many people get confused because they kind of leave it at that level. Uh, and so if you just leave it there, you might be tempted to think of Jesus as the first astronaut, right? But that is not what Luke is communicating here. And, and that is not how the first Christians understood the ascension. And by the way, uh, Nikita Khrushchev, who for many years was the leader of the Soviet Union uh, during the Cold War, one time during a propaganda speech, uh, he made the point that when their first cosmonaut went up into space, that he didn't see God anywhere. As though that somehow disproved something. As though Christians thought that God is like Jesus is, is chilling on some planet somewhere. You know, like that Jesus is on the moon, on some moon base or something. Like, that is not the point. That is not the point. Just totally misunderstands the point of the ascension. Well, how do we know? Well, let's uh, look here where it says, notice where Jesus ascended to. Luke 24, verse 51. It says, Jesus was taken up, where? To heaven. Now notice, not to the heavens, but to heaven. There's a difference there. So in the Bible, the word heavens, plural, refers to the sky, refers to the atmosphere, refers to the universe itself. But the word heaven, singular, refers to the place, hear hear this, the place where God dwells. That's what heaven is. The place where God dwells, it's in the words of N.T. Wright, it's God's space, it's God's dimension of reality. And so we really need to keep this in mind as we think about the ascension. And what this means, and just to kind of boil this down, is that that heaven is not a place in our space-time universe, you know, beyond Pluto somewhere. So it's not as though, you know, the Voyager 1 satellite is just going to keep going. One day it's going to float past heaven. That that is not, you know, uh, what heaven is. Again, heaven is the place where God dwells. And another way of seeing this is, is with this reference to the cloud in Acts 
chapter 1, Luke's telling of the story there. There's this reference to the cloud. Uh, it, but in, in the Bible, you have to know that the cloud is a sign of, of God's presence. So think of the pillar of cloud that led the Israelites by day in the wilderness, uh, or, or the cloud that filled the temple with glory in the Old Testament. And what that is, again, that is God's, that's a symbol of God's presence showing up. So what, what's the point? So the point is that Jesus did not merely ascend in the sense of going up. Rather, he ascended to heaven, which is, again, God's dimension of reality. Okay, so that's kind of the meaning, at least at first pass, the meaning of, of the ascension. But you might wonder, what import does this have for our lives? So I want to talk now, I want to talk about the promise of the ascension. There are two things wrapped up in this that I want to explore today. And first is presence and second, power. The promise of presence and the promise of power. And here's, here's the first promise of the ascension. And the first thing that filled the disciples with joy. The promise of presence. What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. Christ's ascension, this might initially surprise you. Christ's ascension actually means that we get more of Jesus, not less. Christ's ascension means that we get more of Jesus, not less. Now, of course, after his ascension, Jesus was not physically present with his uh, disciples, but the ascension means that he is actually more present to his people now and in a more significant way. Now, now how could that be the case? Well, to understand that you need to know something about the nature of heaven. This might get just a little bit heady for a moment, but just, just stick with me. So, so when people think of heaven, I think they often think of it as like this something that's like totally separate from our reality, but that is actually not the biblical uh, understanding. Now, now, it is true that heaven is not just a, a part of our uh, universe. Again, heaven is not like a planet somewhere out there, uh, but nonetheless, heaven is not detached from our existence, from our world. N.T. Wright, who, who's, who's really helped my thinking on this, he suggests that heaven is like a dimension uh, of the universe, which intersects it, but transcends it. Okay, so think of, I don't know if you've ever watched the Chronicles of Narnia or read the books. Uh, Narnia uh, is not contained within our world, so it's not like it's just a part of our world, but however, it intersects our world, that there are these points uh, of access. Or think of the story of Jacob's ladder in the Old Testament. Jacob, the patriarch, stumbled upon this place where it's like heaven and earth overlap, like there's this point of access and connection. And here's why this is so important. Sometimes when people think of Christ's ascension, they think of it as though Christ just kind of went off far away on some vacation and we're kind of now, I guess maybe we're on our own or what, you know, he's just somewhere out there, right? Uh, away from us. But, but again, when, there, when, when you think of the ascension like that, you're thinking of it as absence. But again, what the promise of the ascension is actually presence. It's more of Jesus. Think of it like this. If Jesus had remained in our space-time universe, just kind of walking the earth, he could have only existed at one place and at one time. But because he ascended, he is able to transcend space and time, and therefore he is now able to be with his people everywhere at all times. It's just amazing. So again, the ascension, the promise is that we get more of Jesus, actually, not less. And, And this is just so important. And this is part of why Jesus actually told his followers, remember, he told his followers, it's actually better for you if I go away. And this is why. Because we get more of Jesus, not less, by his spirit, which is referred to as the spirit of Christ. And I think this is actually, I'll refer to another passage. I I think this is part of what's going on in in the passage from John 
chapter 20, which is one of those encounters that, that, that actually Mary had with Jesus after his resurrection. So as you may recall, uh, after Jesus' death, Mary, like the rest of the disciples, was distraught. And, and she, like everyone else, thought that she had lost Jesus for good. But after the resurrection, uh, she happens upon the empty tomb. She, she, she's outside. She's crying. And, and Jesus appears to her. And, and, and she, she recognizes him. And she, when she finally does, at least, she, she clings to him. And what does he say? He says, don't hold on to me. Now, why? He says, because I'm ascending. Isn't that interesting? Now, what's he getting at? Well, I believe the point, saying, look, don't hold on to me so tightly. And, and, and why would she have been holding on so tightly? Well, she's afraid of losing him again, right? But think of what Jesus is trying to communicate. He's saying, look, if I stay here like this, you will lose me sometimes. But if I ascend, then I will always be with you 24-7. And through the Holy Spirit, I will come to you. And that means you will never lose me again. Again, the promise, you'll get more of me, not less. That is the promise of the ascension. That is the promise, the first promise, the presence of Jesus. Now, now there are lots of ways we could apply this uh, to our lives. But here's kind of how I want to focus this today. What, What this means for you and I is that you can know Jesus Christ in a real way because of the ascension. And to unpack that, I want to look at this prayer that we read a moment ago from the Apostle Paul from Ephesians uh, chapter 1, just this amazing prayer. And, And we'll start in verse 15. And there Paul says, for this reason, and he's talking to the church at Ephesus, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So Paul was a man of prayer, just like Jesus was a man of prayer. And, and Paul is thanking God for the faith of the Ephesians and their love for God's people. But then he goes on, he moves from thanksgiving, and he shifts to intercession. And he asks God for something. And in verse 15, Paul says, I keep asking the, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ The glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that you may know him better. Now, you see, if, think about this, if Jesus was just a good teacher, or if he was uh, just an especially enlightened human being, or if he was, oh, I don't know what, just a prophet, you could study his teaching, you could know about him, but you couldn't know him. But because he is not only the risen but ascended Lord, that means that you can know him even today. You can know him today. And, and really, this is, this is just one of the central things of the Christian life, knowing Christ. And, and, and by the way, if you had only one prayer you could pray, this is a very good prayer. This is a very good prayer. And, and notice, again, Paul, actually, this is, there's basically two prayers in Ephesians. There's this one and there's one in chapter three, but they're basically like two sides of the same coin. And really right at the center of these prayers is knowing Christ. For Paul, this is his deepest longing for the church in Ephesus, that they would know Christ, that they would know Christ. And, and I've said it before, but I'll say it again, but, but Jesus didn't come and become incarnate. He didn't go to the cross. He didn't raised from the dead. He, he didn't ascend to the right hand of the Father just so that we could have a new religion or a new theology or a new set of practices. He came that we might know him and enter into a relationship with him. And, and, and that is possible because of the ascension. And that is just central to the Christian life. Now, I want to talk just for a minute about what this means. When we talk about knowing Christ, 
what that means. Because again, Paul prays for the Ephesians and therefore us that, that we may know Christ better. And what you have to know, he's not talking about mere, what we might call kind of academic knowledge or mental knowledge. He's talking about something very deep and, and experiential and, and robust. And, and, and this is what Jesus has in mind when he says in John 17, verse 3, that now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true, only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So kind of put this in our language. Paul is saying, I don't want you just to read a Wikipedia summary about God. I want you to know him. Or maybe to use an example from our day. I don't know if you ever, you know, some of us are too old for this, but if you ever did one of those online dating things, and you know, like you, like you read a profile somebody, there's a difference between reading a profile about somebody versus actually meeting them, right? And sometimes for multiple reasons. <laughs> sometimes they're falsified, but that aside, that aside, that aside, there's a difference between knowing about someone or, or reading a description about them versus actually knowing them, being in an experiential relationship with them. And what Paul is saying, that's what I want for you. I want you to know Christ. I don't want you just to know about him. I want you to know him. I want you to know him. And we were created for this. We were created for this. Now in Philippians verse, chapter 3, rather verse 10, Paul says, I want to know Christ. And for him, for Paul, that was like the number one thing. And think of this, by the way. This is, who's saying this? This is the Apostle Paul. This is the man who had the Damascus Road encounter. This is the man who was caught up to the third heaven. This is a man who witnessed miracle after miracle after miracle, who saw salvation after salvation after salvation. Yet he says, he has the audacity to say, I want to know Christ. Now, what does that mean for you and me? There's more. There's more. And if, and if you think, I just... I'm Swedish, so I'm not blunt, but I'm going to be blunt right now. If you think you've arrived, you don't get it. I'm just sorry. Think of it like this. Think of it like this. Paul, actually, in Ephesians 3, verse 8, he says, he refers to the unsearchable riches of Christ. That means there's always more. Think of it like this. Jesus is like the Pacific Ocean. You're on a paddle boat. And as far as the eye can see, there's nothing but glory and beauty and majesty and wisdom and greatness, and perfection, and wonder, and holiness, and love. And no matter how far you sail, you'll never reach the end of it. There is always more. You can never exhaust the limits of God's glory. Never. And here's my fear for the church, though, in light of that, is that we've settled for something less than that. How do I know? Because so many of us are bored. And if you're bored, you're not, you, somehow you've missed it. Because again, there are unsearchable riches in Christ. There's always more. And there's nothing better. There's nothing better. Now, I don't know if you've ever had this experience. But far too often when I pray, I, I have this experience. When I, when I really dive in and uh, get into the presence of God, something happens. I feel like an idiot. And I'll explain why in a minute. <laughs> but it's because as soon as I really dive into prayer and I really find myself in God's presence, it's like, oh, this is so good. Like, God, you're so amazing. I, as the psalmist says, I, I taste and see that he is good. Or as the psalmist also said that, you know, the nearness of God is my good. And I experience that. I'm like, oh, God, you're so amazing. And I find myself saying with Psalm 73, whom have I ha- have in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Or Psalm 36 says, for with you is the fountain of life. And so I just experienced the goodness of God, but then this thought hits me. 
And, and I feel like an idiot. And the reason is because I'm simultaneously so aware of how wonderful and amazing God is. But then I think, why in the world would I have skimped on my prayer life the past couple of days? And why did I spend like hours watching TV last night? What was that about? Like, I've got the fountain of life right here. And I just binge watch some show on TV. It's just like, wow. It's like, it's, it would be so easy to just lose sight of how amazing and glorious Christ is. So amazing. And by the way, you have to know that there are like people with PhDs who are paid lots of money to try to capture your attention. And, and there's so many forces coming at us to distract us from knowing Christ. But Paul is saying, there's nothing more important. There is nothing more important than knowing Christ. And he also knows that we need help in this. Of course, there's kind of all the societal stuff coming at us. There's our own internal distractions and whatever. And of course, we've got spiritual stuff coming at us. And so Paul knows that we need help. And so he prays for the Ephesians that, that God would help them in this because this is what is central to the Christian life, knowing Christ, knowing Christ. So to, to really sum this up, that the first promise of the ascension is presence. We get more of Jesus, not less. And what this means for us is that we can know him in a deep abiding and intimate way. Now here's the second promise of the ascension, power. Another thing that the ascension means is that Christ uh, has now been exalted to the position of ultimate power and authority in the world. That he has all power and, and two implications of this that I want to unpack. First of all, this means that we can trust him for the care of our lives. And then secondly, that his power is available in our lives. Okay, so let, let's talk about this for a moment. Now, that, that, that's a kind of a mouthful, so let's walk through this. So, so in this passage, this, this prayer from Ephesians 1, Paul uh, says in verse 20, he says that the Father, quote, raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, when you, when you, when you hear that, you might be tempted to kind of conjure up in your mind kind of like this overly literal picture of like Jesus on like some giant chair. You know, kind of like a, just kind of like this 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 picture, uh, but but really the point is not that there's a giant chair in heaven, uh, and that Jesus is sitting there. Uh, the point uh, is that this is an image communicating a deeper truth. What is that? Well, in the ancient world, the right hand—you have to know this—the right hand of a king would be that would be sort of uh, where someone like the prime minister sat, and the prime minister would be the one who'd been delegated authority over the land to execute on the concrete affairs of the state. And, 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 and so what G, when it says that Jesus has been seated at the Father's right hand, what this means is that he's been exalted to the position of highest power and authority in the cosmos. Uh, another way to think about this is to think again about the word ascend. Now again, one meaning is to ascend spatially, like to ascend up a set of stairs. But another meaning of the word ascend is to go up in terms of position, in terms of authority. And that is what Christ's ascension means, that he actually is now enthroned as the king of kings and as the Lord of lords. That is who he is. He's the ascended king. That is exactly what the ascension means. Now, you might wonder, well, what relevance does this have for our lives? And so I want to unpack just a couple things by way of application. And the first is that this means that we can trust him that he has the power and authority to accomplish his good purposes in the world. In Ephesians 1, uh, 20 through 21, it says, the Father, quote, raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above, no, not just a little above, 
but far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Now, when you look out at the world and you see all the violence and all the brokenness and addiction and injustice and all the evil in this world, it can be tempting to kind of to kind of freak out, right? Sometimes, right? You see the headlines, but Paul is telling us that Christ has been exalted over all that stuff. He has been exalted over all other rulers and authorities. Now, of course, of course, that includes things like, you know, he's been exalted over, you know, mayors and, you know, politicians and presidents and prime ministers and emperors and kings and queens. But really the accent here is that Jesus has been exalted far above all the evil spiritual forces of this world. And what I want you to see here is that Paul's point here is that this isn't a close match. So it's not as though Christ was exalted just barely above those evil powers. And it's like, uh, we don't know how this is going to turn out. That is not the reality here. He has been exalted far above. He has been exalted high above the evil powers of this world. And what that means is that his purposes will prevail. You can bank on it. You can trust in it. You can rest in that reality. Now, sometimes when I'm just walking through downtown Fullerton, sometimes I, 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 maybe I'll see something just really broken or dark, or maybe I'll even just, sometimes I can even just sense it. Sometimes I walk and I just kind of sense darkness. And so often I'll just, as I'm walking down the street, I'll just proclaim, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord over this city. Jesus is Lord over the world. Now, if someone sees me, they might think I'm a little crazy, but I, I don't care. <laughs> because, you see, we need to remind ourselves, we need to find ways of rooting ourselves in that this is reality that this is reality. Headlines, that's not ultimate reality. Ultimate reality is Jesus is the risen and ascended Lord. And we need to just, just anchor our hearts in that. We need to trust in him. Okay? And not only does he have, now think about this, not only does Jesus have all the power and authority, but he is actively at work in the world. Now, you might not be able to perceive that in your life right now. I, I get that. There have been times I'm like, God, like, like where are you? I don't, I don't get it. So I, I get that. But here's what Ephesians 1, 22 through 23 says. It says, and God placed all things under his feet, not just some, all things under his feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. You see, we are being told that the Father God has put all things, all of life, the entire universe, all of history under Jesus' feet and his control so that he can complete the plan of redemption. N.T. Wright puts it like this. I, I love how he puts it. He says, Jesus is now the managing director of this strange show called Earth. Though like many incoming chief executives, he has quite a lot to do to sort it out and turn it around, right? Now, of course, there are opposing forces at work, working against Christ's purposes in the world. But here's the promise we have from Romans 8. Verse 28, famous passage. It says, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. And so I don't care how messy or how out of control or how confusing life looks for you right now. Jesus Christ, the risen and ascended Lord, is at work in your life if you will love him and trust him. That is the promise. You can take that to the bank. You can trust him. Now, here's the second application of this point. Not only does Jesus have all power, but he also makes his power available to us in our lives. He makes his power available. Let's go back to Ephesians 1 verse 18. 
we skipped ahead for a minute, so I want to go back. And we saw that Paul, again, he started praying that the Ephesians would know Christ better. Then in verse 18, he continues this prayer by saying, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So what this means is not only do you have physical eyes, that you also have kind of spiritual eyes internally. And he talks about the eyes uh, of your heart. And the word heart refers to the whole, whole of your kind of inward self, which includes both your mind and your emotions. And Paul is saying that these faculties that God has given us, it's, it's like they need to be opened. And we need God's help for that. And remember, he's praying for Christians here. So what this means is that this is not automatic. That this is something that we need to pray for. That we need to actually pray for the eyes of our heart to be open. We need to pray for awakening for ourselves, for our church, for our city. We need to pray for God to open the eyes of our hearts because we can't do that on our own. We need him to help us with that. We need him to help us with that. So Paul prays, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Why? In order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Now, as Greg pointed out last week, that because of Christ's resurrection and ascension, we can have hope, like real hope, rooted hope. And we're not talking about just sort of naive optimism, just, well, just, I think things are going to go great, glasses half, uh, glasses half full. No, like real hope because of what Christ has done. And then Paul goes on to pray that they would know, quote, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Now, that's a line. That's pretty amazing. Now, I don't have time to fully unpack this. But basically, Paul is saying to the Ephesians, do you realize the spiritual riches that Christ has given you? He's basically saying, look, you are like spiritual billionaires in Christ. We we are co-heirs with Christ, we are told. And he's like, look, you're still living on 20 cents a day. You're still living on 20 cents a day. You're living on cycles of addiction and fear and shame and, 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 and addiction. And so he's saying that the power of, he's praying that the power of Christ, the ascended Christ would touch them and usher them into their inheritance as sons and daughters of God. Then Paul goes on to pray. They would know, quote, his incomparably great power for us to believe. Now it's hard to see this in the English, but in the Greek, you can tell that Paul is just like, he's just like, is almost like at a loss for words. He's like using this over-the-top language when he says incomparably great power because he's straining to do justice to the greatness of the power of God. It's like just words fail to describe it. But notice that Paul, he doesn't just want you to have like an abstract idea that God is powerful. He wants you to know. He wants you to experience God's power in your life. And that is what he is saying is that that is available to you and me. And really at the center of this prayer is just this longing he has that we would know Christ's power and understand it in a deeper way, which is the same power that rose Jesus from the grave. My friend Bob Logan, who is a church consultant, once he shared with me the story of a place where he did some ministry in South America. I forget exactly where, but he said they have this practice in this community where every time when someone is baptized, they will immediately ask them, where do you need the power of Christ in your life? Is it with an addiction? Is it for courage? Is it for fill in the blank? What is it? And they say, okay, we're going to pray for that right now. I love that because we need the power of Christ in our lives. And that is available because of Christ's resurrection and ascension of who he is and what he's done. So encouraging. So we're kind of running out of time. So I'd just like to invite the band to come back up. And just to kind of bring this to a close, today we celebrate that Jesus not only rose from the dead, but he also ascended to the right hand of the Father. And what this means is that he's not absent, but he's actually even more present. 
And that means that we can know him in a deep and abiding and intimate way. And that also means that he is now enthroned as the king of kings and Lord of lords, far above all other power. And therefore, we can trust him. We can trust him in his care of our lives, that we can also experience his power in our lives here and now. But just kind of as we close, just a kind of a closing thought, and then just think about this, that that, that if God has the power to, to raise Jesus from the dead, and remember that Jesus, uh, the mystery of the incarnation, Jesus was fully God, but also fully human. If God has the power to raise him from the dead, we're not talking about Lazarus. Now remember, Lazarus was, was raised, but he went back and he died again. Jesus was raised to indestructible life, we're told. So if God has the power of, to do that, do that which is totally impossible from any human vantage point, what impossible thing in your life are you facing that he has the power to overcome? Where do you need to trust Christ today with his power to come into your life? We're going to take a moment to reflect, but I just want to invite us just to, if you would just bow your heads with me. I just want to pray for us. You might just want to think for a moment, where do you need the power of Christ? Where do you need the presence of Christ to come into your life? Maybe bring you hope, maybe encouragement, maybe freedom. Where do you need the presence and power of Christ in your life today? I want to pray this prayer over us today. Glorious Father, we ask that you would give to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know you better. And we pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which you have called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance and your holy people and your incomparably great power for us who believe. We pray this in Jesus' name. In a moment, we're going to come to the table. And something Christians have done since the earliest days of the church is to take a moment just to confess their sins to God, not to beat themselves up, but actually to receive his mercy afresh so that when we come forward, we can come with joy in our hearts. And so we're going to take a moment. You just might want to ask the Lord, is there something specific you'd have me confess to you right now just to prepare my heart for communion? And if you'd like, there's some words in your bulletin that can guide you in that prayer. But let's just take a moment with God in silent prayer. And we'll continue in worship.